Hello and welcome back to My Entertainment World. Today we have another interview for you. I got to sit down with the writer and director of A Christmas Carol at Campbell House Museum. This is one of Toronto's coolest holiday traditions that is back this year for the first time since the pandemic. Um, the theatre companies Three Ships Collective and Soup Can Theatre have come together to create an immersive, site-specific exploration of this historic house um, in the context of a performance of A Christmas Carol. Um, so it's a very difficult ticket to get, but I encourage you to uh, look into getting tickets. They might have some last-minute cancellations. You never know. Um, so I hope you enjoy my interview with Sarah Thorpe and Justin Haig. You guys have been producing Christmas Carol at Campbell House for quite a few years. Can you tell us a little bit about the origin of the production? Yeah. Um, basically, I, I had a random thought one day that I, um, I think it was getting to that time of year where I saw uh, there were so many other productions of A Christmas Carol happening in different theaters, but always in a very in a traditional uh, space. And I thought, wouldn't it be cool if there was A Christmas Carol in a historic house like Campbell House, because I've seen so much theater there or Spadina House or Mackenzie House or something like that. And then that thought just sort of stayed with me and I thought, well, if no one's done it, maybe we should do it. Because <laughs> I think that's a very cool idea. And I presented it to the, the, the core team at the time and they all went, oh yeah, that's a great idea. We should do that. That's basically it. <laughs> There's no other sort of a grand idea or inspiration. It was like, that would be cool. And it was, and there we go. Um, but but I will say that um, there, you know, there is certainly a reason why this uh, this adaptations of this story keep happening, keep keep going on for the last almost. I, I did the math. the 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 book was published 179 years ago, so there's a reason we keep coming back to it almost 200 years later. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I seem to remember that, to put in context, I think we'd come off of doing a show that was like a show we were really proud of, but it was a tough sell and and kind of heavy and, you know, left us feeling a little bit, uh, you know, challenged by the whole indie indie theater model. And, and so I think when Sarah said, you know, oh, what do you think about doing a site-specific Christmas Carol? And we were like, that that's genius well not I don't know, we may have said genius but it was just like such a uh such a kind of like a natural thing and i and 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 the thought of doing something that was kind of fun and festive and um and you know just like an a, what is typically like an audience pleaser seemed like such a good antidote to to uh to that and uh yeah so it really didn't take a lot of like discussion or convincing it was just like <laughs> Yeah, we've done we've done site specific shows before, and uh, and yeah, it was uh, it was. I think we were like pretty much all on board as soon as the words came out of their mouth. So it's rare for a production to get to come back multiple years. How has the production evolved as it progressed? Um, I always like to come back to it, thinking, okay, what worked last time? Because we should just keep that. Because if it worked. It worked. Perfect. But then also thinking of, okay, what didn't work so well? How do we address that? How do we make that smoother, better? And coming into it this time around, um, 
there was a lot of elements that worked really well that we wanted to keep. But at the same time, I wanted to change a couple of things uh, as a bit of a challenge and enhance a couple of things in ways I wish, you know, I wish, oh, I wish we had had time to do this back in 2018 or back in 2019. We just didn't have the time coming into it now. I'm like, okay, can we make this happen? This, this extra idea that, that I had. Um, so I'm always looking for ways to further enhance some aspects of the production or create a little bit more of a challenge, but, you know, but, but still keeping the, the elements that we know have worked in the past. And if that means, you know, what, why, why be tough on ourselves when, when there's so much work to do anyway, uh, if it, if it, if it's not broke, don't fix it. <laughs> I, I think it's worth mentioning that we're also in a um, an equally rare, perhaps even a rarer position that I want to say that like 85% of our cast members from 2019 were able to return. Mm. Uh, and so being able to revisit the same material with actually the same artists has really been fantastic because they have themselves been kind of digesting the material that they've been working with and bringing new offerings to the table, new thoughts and new interpretations and, and um, really being able to finesse and, and find, find new little details and new thoughts and new interpretations of, of the characters motivations. And that's really been a, a fun luxury that not everyone gets mm-hmm. um, in terms of the actual themes of the show too. That's also really been interesting because there's a moment in our show that, is, was very much inspired by the Me Too movement, which was in, you know, in, in full force and well, still is, but it was it was very much like the, you know, front front page news in 2018. Um, and there's a scene that's inspired by that, but there are lots of other, you know, bits of social commentary in that. And so it's actually also been quite interesting to see how the same story, different parts of it seem to kind of bubble to the surface in terms of what is at the 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 forefront of public consciousness in any given year. Um, you know, there, there's no no shortage of of uh, of um, discussion about you know the the difference of of um, you know the one percent and and mm-hmm. classes kind of thing and uh, and that feels like it's it's probably the one of the one of the themes that will resonate a little bit more this year than than it has in past. Mm-hmm. Um, so tell us a little bit about some of those uh, cast members, both returning and your new people. Well, I, I think let, let's start with Ebenezer Scrooge himself, uh, Thomas Goff, who has been doing this role since the first time we did the show in 2018. Uh, we know Thomas from, <clears throat> excuse me, uh, he played Creon in our production of Antigone, which was, oh, geez, 10 years ago. Holy cow. <laughs> uh, where does the time go? And we, we just knew him from the indie theater um, scene as well. And I, when I first had the first, you know, ideas for this production, he was the very first person I thought of as Scrooge. And I thought he'd be a fantastic Scrooge. So I approached him back in 2018 and said, you want to stab at Ebenezer Scrooge? And he was on board immediately. So, and thankfully he's been very, very game to always come back and and do it again every year, which, which is lovely. So so yeah, it's uh, he's he delivers such a such a beautiful and nuanced performance. Uh, something that Justin and I talk about is that what, what we have found in a lot of interpretations of the book, whether it's other um, 
usually from what we watch in other other film versions because there's so many scrooge is not completely three-dimensional we don't always see his reasons for like like what made him the way he is today in, in present day we don't always see what that was <clears throat> so you know thanks to, to justin's writing we have a very flushed out backstory that the, the audience learns those specific moments in his life that made him the way he is now that made him put business and money and financial gain above human connection and relationships and above all else and with, with that three-dimensionality thomas takes that and just runs with it and delivers such a beautiful specific and performance and i think just with the nature of the house because the audience is so close there's a lot of subtleties that we may not get to do if we were in a much larger traditional performance space because the audience is just mere feet from Scrooge watching him as he goes on this journey and sees these moments of his past and realize, Oh, I, you know, that was a mistake. And this horrible thing happened to me. And Oh my God, I have to relive all this. We, we get to see those very subtle changes in him as they start to happen, which is such a gift. Thanks to the nature of the house. Um, uh, yeah, Thomas. I've, Thomas ta- I've talked a, a bunch about this, Justin. You, uh, you do the next one. <laughs> right, no, yeah, no. Uh, Thomas is an absolute gem of an actor, and and kind of I want to say a little bit rare too in that you know he's a working actor, but he's very happy to still kind of like throw his hat into the the indie ring and do projects that may not have the same kind of financial backing as you know, a major season production from one of the larger companies, um, if it interests him. And, um, and as Sarah said, he's able to navigate the, the, the material so beautifully and so subtly um, that he really is, as, as much as it is truly an ensemble production, I would, I, you know, I don't think anyone would, would argue with me saying that he is really the heart of the show. Um, the, the rest of the cast is also fantastic. And, and they, for the most part, have multiple um parts to play each but we've managed to kind of assemble a a really wonderful um warm group of of people and that's that's one of those things that you know if you're an audience member you may not really care about any of the behind the scenes stuff but as a show that we've returned to um the just the the experience of enjoying the company of the people you're working with has actually kind of meant more to us over the years. I mean, we've, mm-hmm. you know, it's nice to get good reviews and healthy sales and, you know, those kind of like, kind of lovely, lovely metrics that sometimes people use to define a show. But honestly, having to, having to spend, you know, hours in rehearsal with this group of people is one of my own new favorite kind of like holiday traditions, since I'm not like yeah. a, a huge, huge Christmassy person myself. Um, one of our original Tim's. I think this is like a perfect example. One of our original Tiny Tim's, uh, Chloe Bratt, who started with us in 2018, she's, and is she's now old, she's 11 years old. 11 years old. Now she's like 15. She's in high school, in an arts program in the performing arts department. Not surprisingly, and she's come back every single year. And and this year she's you know obviously a bit too 
too old to be playing Tiny Tim, but we've actually kind of moved her into different roles that are that are also age appropriate and and um, mm -hmm. so yeah, it's uh, it's it's a lovely it's a lovely lovely thing to to be working with these people. Yeah, some of the other uh, new people on the show is we have two wonderful new young actors uh, alternating the role of Tim and uh, Ebenezer as a child. Um, and they are fantastic. And this is always a treat for us to meet actors that are very young, like 10, 10, 11 years old, and see their trajectory um, and, and what they do after this. And, our, you know, we already we auditioned a good number of, uh, of, of young actors for those roles. And, you know, already they had some very impressive resumes, <laughs> which is always exciting to see. Um, Yes, yeah, so, so it's it's always great to to meet new young talent and and see where where they go from from there, and uh, yeah, as, as Justin mentioned, it's it's uh, uh, yeah the, the spending time with this group of people is also very very important to us because as much as it is very hard work putting up a theater production in any sort of way. Um, you want to really enjoy enjoy yourself with the people you're spending so much time with. So, uh, this we've been very very lucky that we've had some fantastic people to spend time with over the years and create art with. And this is this year is no exception. This is a, a wonderful wonderful group of people that are so warm and kind and funny and we love spending time with them so it makes going into every rehearsal every meeting um you know we know we're gonna laugh we know we're gonna be so joyful and have such a good time even though the work is is hard and uh sometimes that it makes us very tired uh but we know we're spending it with amazing people and that that as, as i grow older i find that's more important to to me making the art is important as well but, but spending time with people i love to spend my time with that's also a priority and this is yeah. your first year fully back since covid began what have been some of the obstacles that have come with getting it back on its feet well i i think the big thing is seeing seeing how what other theaters and other arts organizations have been doing um, as they welcome audiences back and have different COVID protocols, certainly as rules regarding vaccinations and, and masking has changed so much over the last few years um, with what, um, you know, what, what the provincial government has, um, has uh, said. Uh, one thing, you know, our first and foremost, we wanted everyone to be safe and comfortable. So we have gone, you know, we've done, excuse me, ah, tongue tied. We've gone through all of our rehearsals in masks. We, we only started taking off masks if people were comfortable doing so when we were doing full run-throughs of the show. Uh, backstage, everyone is masked. You take your mask off to do your scene in the show. You put your mask back on. Um, we have rapid antigen tests. So people are testing every uh, couple of days to make sure that they're safe and um, they're comfortable. Audience members are in masks the entire time. Um, so are any any production team members that are on site and backstage, like stage management, we're in masks the entire time. And yeah, I just, I want people's health and safety very much a priority. 
Um, and I know some theaters aren't, aren't doing masking anymore. Um, and if, if they feel that they should do that, then that, that, that's up to them. Um, but I know personally for me, like I'd feel more comfortable if I was an actor in this show, I'd feel more comfortable if everybody was masked, especially because it's in such close quarters and the audience is very squished, uh, together. And as an audience member, I, I too would prefer, well, if I'm standing, you know, if I'm squished next to somebody I've never met in my life, I'd prefer that we're both wearing a mask just to be extra safe. Yeah, um, we've we've also done something which I'm not sure, I, I doubt we're the first people to do it, but I don't think, I, I can't remember a specific example of, of seeing another Toronto company doing it where we're doing what we're calling COVID-cautious performances, where um, despite, you know, uh, vaccine mandates pretty much being like, you know, no longer a, no longer a thing, we're doing two performances on Sundays Um where we are still going to be checking vaccine status and that's, and, and reducing the, the audience capacity moderately. It's still going to be, um, you know, a, a cozy, cozy, <laughs> but, but slightly less cozy than a normal performance. And that's really because I, I, I do feel as though they're, they're, you know, people out there, including on in our own lives who are reluctant to still get out and kind of go back to arts and cultural um, events that they might have otherwise gone to because they're still on edge about the numbers and uh, uh, the risks and and potential consequences. And so we wanted to at least provide as a, you know, relatively easy accessibility measure for, for people with those concerns, an environment in which they at least know that everyone is, is going to be vaccinated in that space. Um, you know, this not necessarily going to, hundred percent guarantee that uh um you know there aren't still some some risk but certainly we're trying to do what we can to make sure that there's that option for people who mm-hmm. who uh who feel that way so as you mentioned it is <clears throat> tight quarters in the site-specific uh place of campbell house which is it, it's unique in that it has a sort of like multi-venue feel where mm. rooms are dip, used for different purposes. Can you tell us a little bit about the construction of the show and how it makes use of that unique space? Yeah. Um, I was, when we first were, were conceiving the idea of the show, I was really excited to figure out the track and how the audiences w- would walk through this house and what rooms would work for, for various scenes. Um there's it you know it was a the way Campbell House is constructed and the way the the rooms are it's it it, I I found it wasn't terribly difficult to figure out this track and figure out oh this room would work so well for this scene and this room works so well for this scene um uh in the the basement of the house is the historic kitchen and we thought well that's a no-brainer that's the Cratchit's house (laughs) no brainer whatsoever. Um, there's a bedroom on the second floor and I'm like, well, that's where Scrooge realizes, you know, should I say what happens? I just, in case for some people are unfamiliar (laughs) with the, with the story, um, where Scrooge has a big realization. Let me leave it at that. Um, which, um, in, in previous versions either takes place, you know, in his bedroom or, um, another part of town which I will say has, has been a cemetery. Um, how do we do that? Well, well, knowing that there's a bedroom up there, I'm like, well, that lends itself very well 
to that scene. So let's get up there. Uh, the ballroom on the second floor. Like, well, we know the Fezziwig party scene in Scrooge's past is going to be a great big scene with full cast and it's a big Christmas party. So lends itself well to being in the ballroom. Um, yeah, there weren't actually too many kind of like sacrifices or anything that need to be made. It, it was, it's almost like it's catered for that, that particular show, which might not be the case with, uh, with other similar venues. Um, on a very practical level, one thing that's amazing about it is that they um, uh, have a set of back stairs, which I, I imagine would have originally been like the servant's staircase, um, but have since been kind of upgraded and they're you know now now a little more modern. But at any rate, it connects like all three levels of the of the the house and allows us to move have the actors move around out of sight of the audience which I think is actually one of those things. It's a small detail, but an important one that um, that really helps um, create that magic that you're not necessarily privy to, to seeing some of the machinations the way that you might be in other site specific um, um, productions where it's just inevitable that, you know, a little bit, a little bit of that uh, the behind the scenes business has to be revealed out of necessity. Whereas here we can, you know, if we're doing our job right, it really feels like the actors are just kind of appearing out of nowhere in the same way that they're appearing to to Scrooge in, in this magical fashion. Yeah. Can you tell us a little bit about the technical elements and stage management and how they go about sort of organizing something that is so sprawling? Yeah. First of all, thank you for asking about that, because that I feel like that's one of those things that, you know, stage management doesn't get nearly enough credit in in a lot of a lot of uh, coverage as to like the importance they they play in just making something like this or any really any piece of theater happen. But anyways, just want to preface that. But sorry, Sarah, go ahead. No, no, that that's great. Yeah, we have, um, you know, stage managing a show like this is certainly extremely different from, from being a, in a traditional venue because there's no booth. That, that the stage manager is usually uh, in, in a regular performance venue. So it's it's really kind of the stage manager and, and our assistant stage manager sort of running all over the place and following the audience and the actors and um, making sure they are where they need to be. They have whatever prop or something preset that they need to have there and knowing the tracks of each individual actor um, as they're going throughout the house uh technical wise um i won't give it away but there there is an element where a stage manager is underneath a piece of furniture to with, with a smartphone to make a technical a lighting not a lighting effect a sound effect happen and that's just from 2018 realizing well this is the best way to make this particular thing work <laughs> so thankfully we've had some very um some stage managers that have been like oh i have to go under a piece of furniture okay <laughs> but like let it, let us know what we can do to make it comfortable for you down there <laughs> do you need a pillow or something um yeah and uh we, we i never wanted to get super tech heavy with a show like this and just do some you know some rough magic where the audience knows this i you know this is this what they're showing me obviously i can tell it, it's not something that we would see as being real magic or real something else in a traditional performance space. But I, I wanted that. I wanted that rough magic sort of feel to it, but we do some lovely things with very minimal sound effects um, and, and using them very sparingly. Um, you know, it, 
put them where it makes the most sense to, to put them and not, not overuse the, the element. Um, some very specific lighting effects that, again, work for a very specific moment and we don't want to overuse it. Um, yeah. And some things are just as simple as dimming the lights in one room or, or in a hallway and then dimming them back up on specific moments. So there's a lot of uh, moments where, okay, and what cast member is in this room? Okay, can you dim that light switch on this line? Thank you. Um, very, very sort of basic stuff like that. We also have um, uh, one of our actors also plays uh, the violin, Shi Heng Ma. They're fantastic. And having very, very specific moments for the violin music to come in and punctuate certain scenes and transitions does a lot as well because I, I, I'm a sucker for, for live instruments and live music in, in a piece like this. Um, Cause I, I think it adds so much. It's so exciting. Yeah. To, to speak yeah. just to that sparing quality a little bit, that was, that was one thing that, that shaped the script a bit when, when I was first writing it was knowing that we wouldn't necessarily be able to get away with a lot of heavy technical elements Um and uh and sort of you know had to kind of pick my battles when thinking about like what how to how to how we would be able to achieve things so i didn't write in a whole thing about like for example um, without again giving anything away um the the moment that would traditionally happen in the story where scrooge looks over a grave an open grave kind of thing you know can't can't do that inside a house at least not very easily um so without wanting to bring the the audience outside in december (laughs) <laughs> exactly. So some choices were made like that, but I think they ultimately all ended up being uh, beneficial to the story in that it really forced us to make it more of a character piece than, um, you know, a, a lot of big technical elements to to wow audiences. And, and we still we do have a few surprises, but uh, but for the most part, it is a, a very um, a very human story. Mm-hmm. if you will despite all the ghosts yeah yeah is it a pretty straight interpretation because as you mentioned before there are so many adaptations of a christmas carol what are some yeah. of the elements that you're writing and directing bring to it that make your production unique i'll i'll start with that if that's yeah. okay sir. yeah totally yeah no uh thank you for asking that is that is actually i think one of the things that i personally am, am proudest of about our adaptation is that it is um, not a radical departure from from the original. You know, all the all the core elements are there, but there were so many things that, as as a fan of the work myself, that did bother me a little bit, or that I felt like were were potentially lacking um, from, especially for from the perspective of a contemporary audience. Um, I think a lot of adaptations are guilty of having Scrooge as, as a um, kind of a two dimensional villain who transforms into a two dimensional nice guy um and so i really wanted to give him a lot more more connective tissue between his before self and his after self um another thing that i think we do fairly well is that a lot of the um the the harm that he does um in 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 his pre in his in his pre-transformation state is um is resolved there's a lot more kind of a of a you know one two three act uh resolution to some of the some of the things that happen and so it's it's um it gives the audience more reason to cheer for him and, mm-hmm. and to to 
feel as I think feel as though he really has has made a, a transformation as opposed to simply being shown that now he's just like this giddy giddy happy man. Um, yeah. Even even Tim has a little more um, you know char- secondary characters that are normally just kind of like throwaway characters. Like um, I mean, Tim's not a throwaway character, but he has very little consequence ultimately in in the original book um here he, the connective there's a there's a much more fundamental connection between his well-being and scrooge um as well as even somebody like uh um his housekeeper mrs dilber um we gave her a lot more kind of meat and potatoes to 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 work with so she's not just comedic relief but rather a um kind of a moral antithesis mm-hmm. to scrooge and and uh uh and and give them a bit of a story to 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 play with as well yeah um then i don't know I'm trying to figure out is it, is there any, if there's anything else i can say but i think justin got it all um yeah, yeah like because we we always like to you know based on our our history as theater makers taking what what's an older story and how is it still relevant without sort of putting that relevancy on it we try um but you know with this story Charles Dickens was inspired by the economic disparity and the pain and suffering he saw in Victorian London. And that's what inspired him to write A Christmas Carol. Um, And, you know, very sadly, almost 200 years later, not much has changed. Um, It's just we we witness it in a different way uh, sometimes or or experience um, things like economic disparity and and, uh, housing crisis. And... um, you know, people not having access to maybe certain um, medical procedures or medicines they may need to, to get themselves better. Um, we, we still see a lot of that today, almost 200 years later. So it's a, it's a shame that these are still very relevant and pressing issues that, that the audience members will recognize. Um, yeah, we're certainly not giving yeah. ourselves a pat on the back or or no, no, no. for creating like a you know a story that still resonates to this day. It's it as Sarah said, it's a it's a shame and it's shameful that in today's society that you know there are these things that 179 years later are still way too way too prescient. Yeah, but what's also nice, and I think, and just another reason people um, keep coming back to this uh, to this story is finding some comfort or some inspiration in Scrooge's redemption. And they're like, well, he was given a second chance. If he can recognize the error of his ways and make amends, even though it's difficult, he, he, he does it. And maybe I can do that as well. Maybe, Maybe there's something that I've done that I really wish I hadn't or something I said, I wish I hadn't. And what can I do to, to to make that better what can i do to to resolve that or or make peace with somebody so it's still a very inspiring story in that regard and there's also just a very universal story as well um we we would all love to have a second chance at some things i think so it's lovely to see that happen in this sort of very very grand very grand scale of Scrooge literally having four ghosts come into his house and say, you're coming with me. Got a lesson to show you. Um, yeah. Okay. It, it, we'll just so talk on elements that are still very 
universal and in terms in terms of themes i will tack on one thought and this is maybe a little more uh, design related but if you want to consider it part of kind of like under the umbrella of of the overall direction and creative vision of it um i think i would think one thing that um some people are are pleasantly surprised by is that they're not going to necessarily see the same kind of visual cliches either Mm -hmm. uh i you know in our version scrooge is a, a fairly dignified intelligent character and there's always been something about like watching him just kind of like wander around in a basically a bathrobe uh, <laughs> that that have always felt kind of undermines undermines his character a little bit and uh you know uh our our ghost of christmas present isn't also avoids the a lot of those those visual cliches and i think that is that has also been one uh more of an aesthetic choice but one that is notable about ours that we we have not felt beholden to the original descriptions mm-hmm. and i think that's um that's one thing that that really sets it apart and, yeah. and makes it feel a little bit fresher and newer yeah or or take inspiration from the the these original um sort of vi- visual cues and archetypes but then going farther from from that mm-hmm. take yeah, yeah that um, so great. Let's hear the details. When are you, where, when are you running and where can we get tickets? So it's at the Campbell house museum, 160 queen street, West corner of queen and university, uh, tickets and all, um, available, all any information you ever wanted to know about this show is at Christmas Carol to Christmas Yes. And we run December 9th through the 23rd. Yeah. Tickets are, we've got, one of the lovely things about the show is that it is so intimate, but that also means that there are not many tickets available per performance. So, uh, yeah, <laughs> best, <now>. best advice <laughs> to buy them now while they're still there. That'd be great. Thank you so much, guys. Thanks well, thank so much. For Thanks for having us. Okay, bye. So that's my conversation with Sarah and Justin. Um, please make sure to check out their website to see if there are tickets available to Christmas Carol. It's a really fun time. And also be sure to check out us out online. It's myentertainmentworld.ca. On socials, it's my ENT world, my ent world. Um, we're also on YouTube and make sure to follow our podcast feed for all of our interviews and various series that we have going up there. And uh, that's all I have to say, really. So um, happy holidays and make sure to check us out online. Thanks.